welcome back to TDR's Dairy Automation Talks. My name is Ruben Almada, and today we are joined with another guest. And our guest today is Dr. Trevor DeVries from the University of Guelph. Welcome, Trevor. Thanks, Ruben. Glad that you could join us. Uh, we've talked about doing this for a little bit over a month now and uh, didn't get time to get together while you were out here in California um, last month. But the powers of technology, we can do this. Uh, you, we were just talking before we got on that you had just re returned from Brazil. So luckily we could make this work and uh, and uh, go from there. No, it's good. Uh, happy to be on this uh podcast with you and, and to be able to yeah have this uh, discussion on automation and, and dairy. Yeah. So can you give us a little bit of back, um, um, background about yourself, where you grew up and where you attended your undergrad and your grad school and, and how you ended up where you're at today at the University of Guelph? Yeah, no, that's good. Uh, good question, I guess. Yeah, I'm a Canadian uh, through and through, I guess, in, in a way. Um, uh, with Dutch roots, uh, as per my last name, but um, my I grew up in the western part of Canada in British Columbia, and uh, there uh, went to university at the University of British Columbia in agricultural science at the time for my undergraduate, wanting to do something with animals. I wasn't sure exactly what my plans would be. Um, however, I did get introduced to research and really kind of never looked back, and so had an opportunity to do an honors project when I was in undergrad, and that led me into starting grad school. Really liked the idea of research, and I was doing research with dairy cows and also had some teaching opportunities. And out of that, decided that kind of staying in academia was the, the right path for, for myself. And so I um, started looking as I was finishing my PhD, I was looking for uh, uh, yeah, academic positions, and one came up with the University of Guelph, and that was in uh, starting in 2007, and so that's uh, 13 years ago, or sorry, not 13, 16 years ago, uh, <laughs> uh, that I, I moved from British Columbia to Ontario to start my academic position with the University of Guelph. So, um, yeah, so it's it's been a few years, and and yeah, we've uh, uh, continued, uh, I guess. My, my focus of my research coming out of my PhD was in, in dairy cow nutrition and behavior and, and really the interaction between those two things. Uh -huh. And and that's really where, yeah, my research kind of took off and, and, and really at, at its core kind of remains around today, even though we branch off into different kind of directions around that. But, right. Yeah. So, um you know, 16 years now, you've seen a lot of things change in behavior. And in Canada, that's a very different market than we have in the United States from a, a scale size. And automation has really um, taken off further in Canada than it earlier than it, than it has in the United States. But, it's you know, we're starting to get going there, too, really well. How, when did you guys start to do research towards the automation of automated milking and feeding? And because that really does impact that behavior side of stuff, too. Yeah, um, I guess it was early on in my career that we we started thinking about automation more, uh, particularly it started with, well, both, I guess both at the same time, both automation and in, in milking as feeding. We When I started 16 years ago, we still only had a couple percentage uh, uh, of, of farms milking with robots, say, for example, at that time. 
but we're starting to see that really grow. Uh, there was a lack of research that I identified kind of at that time um, where I was with the University of Guelph. I was actually at a different campus to start uh, my, not the main campus here in Guelph, but we actually put in uh, a robot. We converted our, our old tie stall barn. We moved over into a different facility. We put in a, uh, a robot at that time, a Laylee robot. And um, we started working with that as well as producers that were in that area on, on yeah, some of the questions and challenges that they had with, with robots and really never looked back because of the growth that we've seen in our industry. And, and so our, our focus was on, yeah, understanding um, some of the challenges, but also opportunities that came with that. And so doing work from, yeah, on farm kind of applied work to even just serving producers in terms of understanding, yeah, what were, why, or what were the motivations to move towards automation, right? And, and the interesting thing there is that um, there, there's a variety of, of different motivators there for, mm -hmm. for going to automation. Uh, largely, again, automation provides us with more consistency. We have potential for labor savings. So those are huge parts of that. And we see that still in the industry. Uh, so there's definite benefits from the cow's perspective, as well as from kind of a labor efficiency standpoint on farm. But then also, and, and that's probably more unique to our market in Canada than the U.S., but, but there's elements of that in the U.S. as well, where there's also a very personal kind of impact uh, of adoption of automation. And, and it does tie into that labor, right, where a lot of our small to medium-sized farms are owner-operators, right, right. where um, by adoption of various technologies, we're creating more time flexibility for those owner operators farm and, uh, and that's a huge that's a huge thing from a quality of life standpoint yes. for those people so I, yeah. we're seeing that too even on our large scale operations from the management and owners too and even the employees that are doing the work because their work time gets cut back I mean, they're still what which employees don't necessarily want that because they want their hours to get paid. But, you know, their 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 work is um, more consistent. It's more, um, you know, I, I have one producer that he's uh, they reduced their workforce in half. And, and the manager is he feels so much more uh, at free because he has less people to he has to to manage and to less personalities. And I guess not that, you know, it's it's difficult to manage people. It's, it's one of the most difficult things to do and being able to just worry a little bit less about that makes life just a little bit easier on those people. So I can totally understand that from, from small to large, right. It affects them all in that aspect. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and, and even just the type of like, right. And I think there's even some satisfaction in that where you're training labor to be a bit more skilled in certain areas. Right. And, and again, they, there's risks with that, but at the same time, there's, there's reward in that too, right? When you've got good people that you can kind of then train into those positions and, and give those responsibilities to, um, yeah, they, they, they see benefit in that as well. Very true. Very true. You, you do see more ownership of things from the employee the, uh, on day-to-day -day employees in that kind of aspect too. So, um, you guys put in a robot at the University of Guelph. Is it still there and or has it expanded or anything like that? 
No. So it, what's interesting is that where I was in, in that facility, that that campus was closed by the university about eight years ago mm-hmm. um, and it moved over to our, our main campus here. We still operate a robot here in our main uh, campus facility, although we have uh, in that facility, we have a rotary parlor, we have a robot and we also still have a, a, a pipeline system for our tie stall cows, which we used for a lot of metabolic research, right? Which still requires mm-hmm. kind of that um, that scenario. So we have opportunity to do research at kind of the cow level there, but we only have a single robot there. Uh, a lot of our work has moved into the field, so to speak, right? Where we have a lot more opportunity to work with, yeah, more robots, more farms. There are limitations with that because, yeah, we, we can't necessarily control everything. Right. As we would at our research farm. But at the same time, there's benefits to that because it's real life. Right. And so you capture real life variability. And yeah, as long as we can model that in in our research and be able to tease out some of those factors, then, yeah, we are able to identify. Yeah. Whether it be, again, nutritional management, housing factors that that kind of correlate with success in, in these systems, as well as identify challenges in those two. Right. Right. I, I, 100%. I think that, that, you know, in my previous life, you know, doing where I was, there was a lot of conversation about research, university research and everything, and then on farm research. And, you know, I, I think there's a there's a place for both, for both of that, because um, university, as you said, is very, very controlled research, as, as controlled as you can try to get, where you take that method and you take it out into the real world, it might not work just because the real world is very different. So if we can get it a mix of both, it makes it, you can know what a lot more, I think you get a lot further. Yeah. And, and, and what's kind of unique about, I would say specifically when we think about robotic milking is that that's even more true in that scenario. Like we think of other animal production systems, like you get poultry production and you can pretty well replicate facilities. If you got the same feeding plan, replicate the same facilities, you're going to get the same outcomes at the end of the day. Uh, You take a dairy barn and if it's a parlor herd and we've got TMR feeding and everything's very similar two farms down the road from each other, you might have similar production, but it's not going to be identical. You have two robot barns that are side by side, right? Even with similar feeds, right? Maybe even similar barn designs that the, the, chance or or yeah the the opportunity that those two farms have the exact same outcomes is probably lesser and and it speaks to how big of an impact i think at least that management um uh plays a role in terms of um the success in those systems so i, I agree and in, in a dairy on a whole scheme of things i think in the forages too right like yeah. with the poultry and, and swine op, swine operations they're not worried about those things so it's a lot more consistent it's our forages that right but even then if you if you're you have dairies we see it here dairy producers that are you know have two two sites and they're feeding all the forages out from one site and the other one's you know a mile down the road and there's there's differences and it's facilities all these kind of things yeah there there can be even small nuances it's not only i said management but it's small kind of little differences in facilities or right the the climate within those or whatever right which can have a pretty big impact on the outcome right for sure um so 
there's a lot of interesting things there from the research and I found it really in, you know, um, what your comment about your guys doing surveys and trying to find out why people had switched to it. And, and um, you know, one of the things, quality of life and that kind of stuff too. Here, one of the things that we've kind of talked about, trying to, I've been trying to pinpoint or even talk to other people about is if they're seeing any, uh, and I don't know if you've done any research on this, is any, any improvements in reproduction going from a, a um, conventional milking to automated milking? Because most of these automated milking systems attach some sort of activity monitoring for reproduction. Yeah, um, I guess probably two two kind of comments I can make there. One is from our research directly where we asked producers about that. And, and uh, definitely producers uh, self-report at least that uh, reproductive management has improved on their farm, including um, uh, uh, the yeah, conception rates of their cows and then also their pregnancy rates on their cows, uh, which is which is a very positive part of that is, um, and I guess ties into the kind of the other point I was going to make is ties into the fact that there is also a greater reliance on yeah associated technologies, right? So behavior monitoring, moving away from uh, as much time to AI programs, right, to more... Um, yeah, uh, use of automated activity monitoring and, and using that for for uh, uh, detection and uh, well, heat detection. And I think the combination of that plus potential, again, that we, ha we don't really have great data on this, but I think there's just overall benefits from a cow comfort standpoint and all these things. I think we have better opportunity to, yeah, have better conception in cows right uh, and so from from a physiological standpoint and then also probably better yeah heat detection too so contributing to that pregnancy rate so when, when you combine those things the and and again this is anecdotal but producers i've spoken to that have yeah switched from going like even in large herds i was on a large herd recently where they're still operating conventional parlor with a timed AI program and then their robot facility going fully activity monitoring. And basically at the end of the day, they had exact same uh, reproductive outcomes on both, on both facilities. Right. So that's kind of neat to see, right. Where um, we know that there is that opportunity, but I think, I think we're, we're really starting to see some of that coming, kind of coming through now. We, we see some of that in research, uh, uh, but uh, in, in, we're seeing that in real life, so to speak, as well. Yeah, if we can, hopefully we'll start to see more of that in research because there's a, that's a huge amount of money right there, right? From the, the cost of, for timed AI is an expensive cost there. So yeah. if a producer can, can save that, that'd be huge for them. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, it's timed. And then it's also right. Like there's just the, the, there's, there's an impact on the cows, right. In terms of, yeah, um, their time budgets in terms of needling, all these kind of things, which again, we can look at from a physiological perspective. We can even look at it from a welfare perspective. Right. So yes. uh, I think, I think there's, there's positives there from, from all accounts. For sure. For sure. I'm hoping to see some, hopefully in the near future, some research on that kind of stuff. And one of the things I'm excited about from the automation world is looking at that reproduction performances and stuff from there. Um, you know, you talk, you, you, your, a lot of your work is based off behavior. 
um, one of the things with behavior and automation is we have to find a way to see that behavior differently than we do in um, conventional where we're handling the cows on a day-to-day -day basis in the conventional in the bar in the barn or moving the cows to the milk barn or that kind of aspect in an automation we're trying to stay hands off so with behavior one of the things we look for is a cow that's you know sick her behavior is definitely going to change do you know or see that with the automation we tend to do we find cows that are quote unquote sick sooner or later because of automation or have you seen anything that and this you know a lot of this will probably be anecdotal yeah um so we've done i guess yeah going back probably 10 years we started looking at using automated activity monitoring particularly rumination and activity and and trying to use that to say early identify cows particularly transition cows succumbing to um, both subclinical and clinical illness, uh, both infectious and metabolic in early lactation. Uh, what's interesting is kind of to your point is that while we don't have direct evidence, because we've looked at that in conventional barns, we've also done research in robot barns. If I compare the results, yes, we're probably picking up those cows earlier, actually. Like if I think of the studies we've done, um, where we probably did actually in, in the studies we did with robot barns, identify in some of the predictive models that we built uh, a, a bit earlier detection in those robot barns. And I think it's because, again, the the impacts of, uh, yeah, on, on cow behavior or, or that interplay between the behavior of the cows, her desire to go milk voluntarily, go to the feed bunk and eat, all those kind of things are kind of amplified, so to speak, right? And if, if those things go wrong, whether, it, again, it could be from a barn design management standpoint, like a cow comfort issue. But on the other side, if it's a, it's a, if it's a health thing, we, we tend to pick that up probably even quicker in, in, in those robot facilities. That being said, like you said, it, that is a bit of, it's still anecdotal because I'm saying it's kind of comparing different studies that we've done over the years. Right. I've never really seen a head to head kind of comparison there, but, but that would be kind of my guess there, or guess educated guess, so to speak on, in terms of whether or not we're, we're seeing that. The added thing is that, and again, this comes back to how integrated some of these alerts and things like that are, are becoming is that, yeah, we've we've also demonstrated that, yeah, if we can use combined um, source of information. So we did a we did a study using advanced kind of mathematical modeling, AI type approaches um, to uh, identifying cows with mastitis, for example, in robot barns. And. We did that using multiple inputs. So not only the behavioral data from rumination activity monitors, but also the robot data itself in terms of looking at, uh, yeah, the frequency intervals, all those kind of things, but then other data that's coming from the robots, including, right. including right, some of the, some of the milk metrics that are coming, not only the yields, but also temperature, color, all that kind of stuff too, right? And when we put all, all of that together into a predictive model, our, our prediction becomes really strong, right? So especially in an in a AI-based kind of model, machine learning type-based model. So uh, we do have, again, huge opportunities there. And, and yeah, we're seeing that in, in, in various yeah, aspects in the industry, people picking that up, right? Different companies uh, working on uh, trying to, yeah, make improvements there uh, using using the kind of those multiple data sources to 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 do that
Yeah, I, I think that you make a very good point there with the, with with the robotics and the automations and in any in these systems. There's so there's a lot of data that you can you can use like use to to make decisions and such. And I think that's a very key point is using as much of it as you can versus just picking one of those points and being oh okay that we're going to just use this. I think that the AI side of it is going to be very interesting as we grow in further into this into this AI world. Um, so, but. I think you're you're right there that with all that data there it's going to be it makes it makes it for a lot more predictive what are um in the uh, compared to in a conventional setting in a, an automated setting what are some of the biggest cow behavior changes you have seen um down there yeah again a good question i think there's probably a couple things we can kind of point to or think about one is, yeah, like sometimes behavioral, ab I, I would say anomalies or abnormalities become amplified in, in robotic, right? So let's think about something like lameness, right, in, 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 in dairy cows. So when we've got lame cows, particularly what we call more mild or moderately lame cows, in a, in a conventional barn, yeah, those cows, they can manage probably better because, yeah, they 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 get moved to the parlor they do their thing right they go back they, they'll find their time to eat in, in in a robotic barn there if even with some slight gait impairment and our we've shown that in our research those cows become that much less willing to get up and and go to that robot voluntarily and become a fetch cow and right and so we uh, see more problem problems with those animals and so um so that's that's an example of how we right like poor behavior so to speak right in that case yeah. walking behavior can can really detract to the success of, of the system mm -hmm. uh, on the other side what we see in in particularly i think in in well yeah well designed well uh, managed barns good cow comfort uh we see cows really yeah, having agency in, in their behavior, right? And so what that means is that the cow, and I think that's a keystone to robotic milking, is the cow's doing the things that she wants to do and needs to do on her own schedule, and not necessarily because, right, everybody else is feeding, I'm going to go feeding now. Everybody else is milking, I'm going to go milking now. No, it's, right, my eating pattern is going to be dictated mostly by the fact that I'm hungry and that's going to be dictated by the food quality the cow is consuming. And it's not because there's a certain time of the day that feed quality is best. And I want to go eat at the bunk with everybody else or right. right or yeah, or, or queue up for the robot at, at the same time. And so the most success we see in, in our robot facilities is, is the, the more kind of, yeah, breakdown of that synchronized behavior. So to speak, they, they cows are yeah social animals. They do synchronize their behavior but we do also have an opportunity in these robot systems to uh yeah have that break down a little bit so to speak and get those cows to really be working off their own individual behavioral patterns and that's i think that's probably the biggest opportunity that we have there with with robots and automated milking no that, that makes sense you know i, I agree with the the completely with the lame cows you, they do extend out so much more in, a, in an automated system and i do think that with the automated system you get those cows to they can do what they want when they want kind of even like you said even with gate impediments and stuff like that they still kind of they do they go at their own leisurely way you know they're 
they're not pressured or anything like that to kind of get here, get there kind of deal. It's interesting to see even, you know, we're used to in a conventional farm when the feed truck passes that everybody gets up and goes and eat. You, you, you see in a robot farm, the feed truck passes, yeah, half the cows will just be like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll go later kind of deal. You know, so they're, because they know they don't have to go there at that time because they might've just been there or but yeah, um, you know, in, in ideal in larger scale, probably than you do a little bit. Um, um, most of our herds are what, we, what the Laley world calls XL um, will be by the end of this year, will be a five farms with about 77. I think it's 77 uh, robots. Um, and four of those five are XL herds and three of them are going to be 20 plus her robot herds. Um so what do you see as one of the biggest challenges for automated milking in herds, herds to that size? Um, yeah, it, it's a good question because the interesting thing, I guess, that I find about well, with robots is the uh, or large robot herds or automated milking herds is that we still, even in those large herds, you're still dealing with barns that have probably right three milking boxes right yeah four four three, at the four, most right, right now, yeah. yeah per pen right yeah. and so that would be quite common right and so in in many ways those large farms are just kind of replicates of a small farm all put together right so mm -hmm. so the management of that one barn or, or pod of of robots right is not that much different than a single farm that only has four robots right yeah um where and maybe i'll flip the question a little bit because i th think you actually have some more opportunities that from that front then too right because mm -hmm. you do have some opportunity then to think about grouping cows and um and and managing yeah cows at different stages of lactation a little bit differently right so fresh cows versus maybe cows beyond or something that you might not be able to do necessarily on a small scale right um I think labor, labor actually in many ways on the larger farms is is better um, because again these small to medium sized robot farms is still a lot of owner operators or or minimal kind of staff right where mm -hmm. if you're on a large farm and you've got multiple barns with multiple robots right then you don't necessarily need one staff person for every right for yeah. every facility, they can actually uh, be distributed amongst a variety of those facilities. And so you, you, you end up there with more flexibility in terms of you can have someone there 24 hours a day, right? Whereas in a small to medium sized farm, you're not going to have someone there in the overnight hours, where as in a large farm, you can do that. And, and in doing that, you can then also distribute management tasks like, yeah, you don't, you're not constricted to, yeah, fetching late cows or, 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 uh, doing other management in the barn, uh, cleaning stalls or whatever else have you between during the day. Yeah. yeah during that day, those daytime hours. Yeah. And I think there's actually huge benefits from a barn management standpoint, the cow management standpoint to having that labor um, kind of available 24 hours. Right. So I yeah. think that's, that's where, uh, we have some opportunity there, right? Or some some better opportunity, actually. Yeah, I, th um, I think that you're right there. That fits in kind of with the next question I had, but it kind of all works in there together. The be Some of the best things about the large scale is the, 
because of the flexibility of it. Um, I think a large, a lot of our large herds here are doing at, at least at minimum, they're doing one pen of first lactation animals, right? Yeah. Maybe two, maybe two, depending on their size, uh, uh, but they're keeping their first lactation animals separate from their second, from their mature cows, which I think is a huge benefit in, in that. But, you know, like you said, if you're a four robot farm and all of them are in one pen, you, you really can't do that. And, or maybe even if it's a t- two, two and two, you, you might not be able, you just don't have enough animals to, to justify something like yeah, that. Yeah, and to keep your numbers stable on 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 the AMS units and all those kind of things, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, even it, like some people have said feeding is more challenging in, in the large herds, but I, I actually think it's maybe even sometimes the opposite, right? I where, agree with that. Yeah, where, where again we have we probably have more opportunity on those large farms to to again tailor to the individual right needs of yep. the groups, even even the individual cows. Um, yeah, and and so I, again, I don't necessarily see it as as more more challenging there. Now, again, it, as with anything, problems get amplified, right? So, in in a larger scale, so if things aren't working as well as they should be, then you do see that probably more noticeably on a, on a large scale than you would. Yeah, you you might even see it sooner too because of the numbers, right? Just because of the numbers, which isn't a bad thing in, in general. Yeah. You can see your, your 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 issues a little bit sooner and and get to them a little bit faster. Yeah, and and you can make I I would say management changes at a kind of a pen level or even a barn level and evaluate those pretty quickly, right? Where let's say yeah, you're considering some kind of change in feeding management or something like that. And you've got multiple barns that are all fairly kind of replicated. Well, you change that for one or two barns for a month and see what happens. Right. Yep. Um, whereas your small scale producer can't necessarily do that all the time. Right. And, and because again, like you'll see it on the milking behavior of the cows, you'll see it on your kind of KPIs, right. Mm-hmm. That those things, yeah, you're able to do a much kind of better within kind of herd and evaluation of, of certain management changes. For sure. For sure. That's a very good point. You know, I think, um, and a better, I guess, question would have, you know, for my future would be, what are the, some of the best opportunities we have on the large scale? And we addressed a lot of those here today it, because there are a lot of opportunities and a lot of things that we can tweak. And I really like, the comment you said about, you know, making a change on one barn or a pen versus the other, it, it, that takes that research side of the world and, and, and you bring it to that farm where it's controlled for that farm. Right. And so you have, you know, we talked about the differences that you can have from one farm to another doing some research, but when within a farm, things tend to be pretty consistent. So if you can do something on one barn or pen versus another, you have a really good, control group yeah yeah i know and i i I really like that idea and and again speaking with people that have yeah put in uh ams on on larger farms like we are i've had those conversations and they they really like that opportunity right that they can they can they can do that probably even more so than they can in um like on a parlor milk turd because in the parlor milk turd a lot of times the groups are well we group really down to different stages of lactation and parity groups. Whereas sometimes in these robot barns, again, even though we might be separating parity, we still have probably a lot more, yeah, 
heterogeneous groups that are more homogenous across each other, yes. each group, kind of so to speak, right? Yeah, and we can so, tailor their feed and the within the robot differently and that kind of stuff. And I think that it can be even more amplified if you're adding in the automated feeding side of the world, right? You, yeah. you, if you add that side of it, which is starting to get a little bit gain a little bit more popularity in the United States, um, the challenge there is still accepting the fact of it's a different mind shift of feeding. It's the automated feeding world to me. It's a twenty four hour a day feeding thing versus we're feeding for 12 hours yeah every 12 hours kind of deal for 12, yeah. 12 yeah. hours and again we didn't talk too much about that but i think that's it kind of goes with the robotic milking side of things where in, in automated milking part of the huge benefit is that consistency for the cows right in terms of their behavioral routine in terms of the milking process um and and we know that too like our older research even with tmr feeding and conventional herds we know that consistency in feeding both in uh in management of the feeding timing frequency all those kind of things as well as the feed itself and uh the diet itself that's put together uh all those things the more consistent that is the the better outcomes we see and and uh that's again part of the opportunity with automation and feeding there too is is to to really uh yeah, get to that consistency. Completely agree. I'm excited for when we can have some automated feeding systems out here in California. Hopefully sooner than later, we have some sort of automations in some dairies, but not the automated actual feeding portion of it soon. It'll happen yeah. soon. Well, and, and again, it's, it's steps, right? Like even, even just automating the, 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 the feed preparation and mixing, right? We take human error out of that equation and it's not only potentially labor saving, but it's also minimizing, yeah, human machine operating error, right? Which doesn't even have to be very big to cause inconsistency in, in the final product, right? That we're, 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 we're sure. putting out in front of those cows. Yeah. I mean, it, it, from any aspect, we, we remove the human error, the human um, uh, variable. It yeah. makes a huge difference. It sounds inhumane kind of deal a little <laughs> bit, but it, it is in a previous podcast with one of our, our producers, he talked about, you know, it's, it's just, you, you can train people the same way every time, but everybody has bad days Yeah, and, and they're, and, everybody's and inside of bad Procedural days. drift, right? We know that like with milking management and parlors, right? Like we can train people, but we still, you still have to, you have to check and you have to retrain because people will, inherently they will they'll deviate day to day and then over time they'll deviate from protocol as well right and so yeah, even trainers even yeah. the trainers need to be trained kind of deal but yeah so um trevor thank you very much again for your time uh, um i really appreciate getting a chance to talk to you some more about this uh and uh um take making the time for us today some really good information here hopefully some of the producers in our area will take take some of that and have some questions and ask that um and thank you again. And I hope that you enjoyed our time. Yeah, no, thanks very much. Great discussion. And yeah, happy to answer questions anytime as well. So sounds good. For TDR Stereo Automation Talks, I am Ruben Almana. Thank you again for listening. 